providing timely, relevant content to providers who care for children. Welcome to Pediatrics in Practice, presented by Children's Mercy Kansas City. Here's Dr. Michael Smith. Dysmenorrhea is the most common gynecologic complaint in adolescent females, affecting more than half of this population. This is Pediatrics in Practice, the podcast from Children's Mercy. I'm Dr. Mike. My guest is Dr. Julie Strickland. She is the Section Chief of Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology at Children's Mercy. Dr. Strickland, can you give us a nice review of what is dysmenorrhea? Yes, thank you for having me. Um, Dysmenorrhea, uh, we often see in um, adolescent females as they begin their menstrual cycle. It's defined as pain with menstrual functioning. Um, Most commonly, it occurs at the onset or shortly before the onset of the menstrual um, period, and it may last throughout um, the menstrual cycle, although it is most um, uh, disabling to adolescents during the first two to three days of their um, menstrual cycle. Typically, um, we see dysmenorrhea occurring um, after menarche um, when ovulatory cycles um, set in. Right. And is there, you know, when you look at this, um, based on everything you just kind of said there, when you look at a, a case of dysmenorrhea, is it is it ever normal? Is there ever a period where you might think, well, this this young girl has just started her menstrual cycles. Maybe that does clear up after a few of them. Um, or is pain during menstrual cycle always a, a something we should worry about? So typically what we see is the first couple of periods that uh, a girl had, has normally are anovulatory. In other words, there, there's... Um, no, no sequence of ovulation, and those may be actually pain-free. Um, as girls begin to have more ovulatory cycles, then then it is common for there to be some associated symptoms um, or discomfort uh, with that that onset of cyclic uh, functioning. I think I think our real trick is to figure out when dysmenorrhea is just those minimal symptoms that we can manage um, easily with over-the-counter medications and modalities. And when it really exceeds that and requires us to do more intervention for other disorders, which may also appear with cyclic uh, pelvic pain. I definitely want to get into that. But before we do, I was pretty surprised to see that it could affect up um, close to half of adolescent females. How how common actually is dysmenorrhea? I, I would say that that depending on the criteria that you use for menstrual related pain, I would say the majority of of women experience some menstrual related pain, so they would fall into that category of dysmenorrhea. Um, so it's more common than not. Um, and I think um, most, m- when you take a, a, a history, most girls that are cycling regularly will tell you that they do have some some changes during, during that time right before or when their menstrual period starts. So how important is for a, a, a general pediatrician, for instance, who maybe is seeing a patient who is, is having some complaint of, of pain during menses, how, 
it, how important is it to really delineate what what really is going on? Is is dysmenorrhea? Maybe this is my question: Is dysmenorrhea really an umbrella term? Are there different types that we kind of need to maybe tease out in our workup? Absolutely. I, I think first of all, um, just the whole concept that as girls begin to enter puberty and begin their menstrual cycle, the really importance of taking a menstrual history, not just that they're they're having cycles, but what's happening during those cycles is, is really vital um, as we as we look at preventive health. Um, as you mentioned, it, it is a huge source of discomfort. It's also a huge source of school absences and absences from product productivity for young women. So it is really important that we step back and take that menstrual history. And I, I think the thing that, that characterizes the importance of that is really, really asking them about how many days does it last? How incapacitating is it for you? Um, what do you do to relieve that pain? Um, are you able to relieve the pain? Um, is there school, are there school absences? Uh, is it um, interfering with your activities of daily life? Are there associated symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, anorexia, changes in bowel habits? Um, those would all be things that would tend to indicate that maybe you need to look into it further. Um, so typically when we take that history, if a person is able, experiences some cyclic discomfort with her periods, but she's able to um, uh, continue with her activities of daily living, that she's not missing school, that she is able to um, maybe treat that with with over-the-counter NSAIDs in an outpatient dosage. Those would all be signs that, that that's kind of normal. Um, but okay. But when when you have any of those other red flags, then those would be signs that maybe that's not so normal and that that child may need further evaluation. Well, let's talk about what that evaluation really looks like. Um, and let's kind of start. let's let's stay within that that general practice. Um, what are some of the tests that that the general pediatrician or the family physician, can can do right away to start helping to to figure out what what really might be going on? So I think the first and most important thing is just to listen to what the, the patient is saying and to um, um, see what happens with with normal over-the-counter um, uh, and uh, treatments and other modalities, such as thermal modalities, such as a heating pad, um, rest, and over-the-counter NSAIDs. So that would be the first sort of both treatment and and um, test, so to speak. Um, if that um, it, uh, handles the patient's pain, then I really don't think there's any need for any other tests. However, if that is not sufficient, then um, we usually say that we would step up to more phar- pharmacologic doses of NSAIDs, and in other words, weight-based doses of NSAIDs um, during menstrual cycle. Um, again, that's both a treatment and a test um, because we feel that functional dysmenorrhea should respond to one or two of those things. Um, in the situation where um, there isn't a response, I think um, stepping back and looking, doing um, a thorough 
physical examination along with an external genital examination is really important in that situation um, because um, sometimes uh, dysmenorrhea is really triggered by congenital abnormalities both in the in the opening of the vagina, uh, as well as higher up in the uterus. So that would, we know that that accounts for 8% of all patients who present with, with um, dysmenorrhea. So uh, a good external genital exam would be the next step. Um, and then perhaps an abdominal um, pelvic ultrasound uh, would also be helpful um, to congenital abnormalities that would be contributing. And so usually if, if treatment involves surgery, is it going to be one of those um, congenital situations? That, is that normally when surgery is done for dysmenorrhea? So when we have patients who have refractory dysmenorrhea, and that usually it means patients who don't respond to either, either non-steroidal or uh, hormonal suppression. Um, when when we have that situation, then then we think of two things. Particularly, one is congenital malformation, particularly those that obstruct the ability for the menstrual flow to get out of the body um, at, at either the uterus or the vaginal level. And then and then the other thing that we think about that increasingly we're becoming aware of in young women is um, the possibility that they may have endometriosis. Um, and both um, congenital malformations and endometriosis um, require a surgical diagnosis. So in, in summary, you know, putting this kind of all together, Dr. Strickland, what would you like the general practitioner, um, the general pediatrician, the nurse practitioner in, in, the, in the community, what would you like for them to know about dysmenorrhea? That, that is most helpful for, for um, us is just knowing that that um, to ask the question first of all, and and we're um, and to um, go forward with those basic treatments uh, for a very common problem, but to know that when it, when those treatments don't re- when the patient doesn't respond to those treatments or dysmenorrhea is disrupting that girls' lives, that we would like that to be evaluated and treated um, early and not late. I think um, typically in our culture, um, many patients don't really know that that's a problem. They think that that's just the normal way that that girls are. They have menstrual pain and cramping and that that's normal. And in reality, we feel that that um, we have great treatment for, um, for normal functional dysmenorrhea, and we have great importance at diagnosing those patients who fall out of the normal treatment modalities, and we have opportunities to um, improve their, their quality of life with good treatment. 
Excellent summary. That's Dr. Julie Strickland, Section Chief of Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology at Children's Mercy. Thanks for checking out this episode of Pediatrics in Practice. Please visit childrensmercy.org to get connected with Dr. Strickland or any other provider. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and be sure to check the entire podcast library for topics of interest to you and be sure to check back soon for the next podcast. I'm Dr. Mike. Thanks for listening.